0: Good. Let's pray over you. So, Lord, thank you so much for bringing this uh, precious uh, community to our city, Lord. And like mustard seed, like leaven, Lord, you've planted them. And it's just so encouraging. Lord, I know that through the ups and downs, they haven't always felt that way. But I know, Lord, that your hand is upon them and you are working. And I pray that you would encourage them just by being together with us today. And I pray that you would speak through INSU, that you would open our hearts to receive uh, from your word and that you would help us to become uh, better disciples so that we can make more disciples, Lord, that are, that are salt and light in, in our city and our world. And so we receive Him, Lord, as a gift from Your heart, in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Amen. <laughs> Am I on? Can you guys hear me? No. Yeah. Hello? hello, hello, hello. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you and great to see you all. My name is Insu Kim, and um, my lovely wife Angela sitting back there, and we are the. Proud parents of three uh, rambunctious, energetic, a lot of food-eating boys, uh, 8, and six. And and yeah, we're just enjoying life together, figuring out life in Vancouver. And uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, we moved here with one other family, Brent and Amy, who are sitting there with us, and uh, Claire's in the class, and Caleb uh is uh, has joined us since we moved to canada so we have a canadian on our team now and uh so about a year and a half ago our two families packed all our belongings into one u-haul truck and we drove for what seemed like weeks and weeks but i think it was like three days or whatever to from columbus ohio to uh to vancouver and We moved here because we felt like God was calling us to start a new faith community in the city of Vancouver, and it was about a three-year process of discerning, uh, you know, just wrestling with the Lord and figuring out how how do we make this work and all the things that kind of get stirred up when you're thinking about a massive move like that. And so just lots of prayer, lots of talking with people that we love and respect, and just through the discernment process, we feel like God is inviting us to come here and to uh, to do church here. And we are very warmly and graciously received by Gordy, Kathleen, and, and the Vineyard Tribe here, which we love and we are a part of. And so we are uh, located in the Olympic Village, Falls Creek area. That's where we hope to uh, begin our faith community there. And so we're still in the very early stages of church planting, which means that we are a lot of our energy spent on meeting new people, investing in friendships and trying to get to know the neighbors and and learning about the the city and learning about the, the cultural differences and nuances and figuring out how to do church effectively in vancouver and we are far from uh, saying we know what we 're doing we actually don't and um, but by the grace of God, we hoped that there would be a, a, a solid faith community planted in that neighborhood. And so we've been doing lots of kind of monthly prayer gatherings, lots of uh, worship gatherings. And, but as we look back over the year and kind of reflected on just our first year being in Vancouver, I just, and as we we're kind of preparing for our second year here, there's just been a real sense of call to the main and the Plain. I think it's kind of easy to get distracted in a city like Vancouver. We're like, Well, we have to be more sophisticated and we have to be more complicated. And, but the gospel is the gospel, whether it's in Vancouver, whether it's in the Bible Belt, wherever it is, the gospel is the gospel. It's the same Jesus here as it's anywhere else. and And this call to just invest and give ourselves to the work of evangelism and discipleship, to proclaim the gospel and without being fancy and, and whatever else, that we want to do the work, the main and the plain work of discipleship and evangelism. And we want to give ourselves to that this year. So more than thinking about starting a service, how do we get a service of people together? We're really just giving ourselves to like, we want to see people who are far from Jesus, experience him, need him, just fall in love with him and have their lives transformed by that. And, and so, Brent and I had a chance to go to Denver uh, a few weeks ago. We got to spend some time with a few church planters. It was just a few days of just encouraging each other, you know, crying together how hard it is. And uh, But one of the things that we got to do there, again, it was just a really great reminder as we were kind of praying about this next season that just kind of fell in a really good time, and the, the leader of that group just kind of had us do an exercise to just You know, I know that you guys pray for your neighbors and people to come to know Jesus all the time, but let's try this. Like imagine in your mind's eye right now as you're praying for them, seeing their lives after they met Jesus what how different would their marriage be their friendship be can you imagine the look on their face as they meet Jesus can you imagine the families their extended families being impacted by Jesus so we just kind of went through this exercise and and just kind of wept with this love for people coming to know Jesus and and so it's not about trying to start like the fanciest service or have the best music or or whatever and light show or whatever, but the main and the plane of proclaiming Jesus and calling people into that relationship. And and so even as we're doing that and kind of our heart this year is like, yeah, you know, each of our team and our small group, like can we give ourselves this whole year to, to investing in three, four, five people? just loving them daily praying for them daily and that just god do something in their lives we know that salvation is a miracle it's a gift from god and and so just god do your your miraculous work in their lives and we're giving ourselves to that and and i wonder if for you guys here at vancouver east Side, and you're that you you know as you are thinking about the people that you're engaging with and and not thinking about like, yeah, Mission Field is like, you know, in, in Africa or wherever else, but like in, in Vancouver Eastside, the people that you're living with, people that you're doing life with, your neighbors, your coworkers, your, your parents of your student, your, your kids, how might they experience Jesus through, through your life? And, just, and the, the main and the plane of investing in them, having them over for a meal, just doing life with them, praying for them passionately, uh, but just imagining how their life would be so different if they actually meet Jesus. And so we love your prayers for our group. Uh, it is a, a long, hard journey, and uh, we're, we're excited about this new season. But I mean, definitely, it's it's you know it's a, it's an emotionally hard, physically hard, uh, just draining experience a lot of times. But by the grace of God, we will continue to just do. Uh, co-labor with, with Jesus t- to see people come to know and experience Jesus. So please do pray for us. That's up. Um, so I know you guys started a study on the Sermon on the Mount and the disciples living in authentic missional community. And I know that last week you studied the the part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish, but to fulfill the law, and he ends with this interesting statement in verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so today's passage, the verses that we'll look at, is really answering this one important question. What does it mean to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And we'll look at some examples that Jesus gives, but that's kind of the context of our particular passage today. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 5, and, uh, and let's start with verse 20, and which is from last week, but we'll read it again this week, and we'll go to verse 37, and I think it'll be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible or... Your phone or whatever, just take it out and we'll look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 to 37 and you can follow along as I read. It says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, Let's continue through, actually, verse 33 here. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So let's go back to that question. What? Who were the Pharisees, and what does it mean to surpass their righteousness? Who were the Pharisees, and what does it mean to surpass their righteousness? So during the time of Jesus, there were three major religious sects of Judaism. There were the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Pharisees. And of the three groups, the Pharisees were the most vocal. They were the most influential among the three groups. And the name Pharisee means separatists or separated ones because they were obsessed with keeping separated from anything that would defile them. The Pharisees were great students of the Hebrew Bible and devoted their entire lives to follow God. To the Pharisees, the law, the Torah, was the centerpiece of their lives, and they took it very, very seriously. So when it comes to keeping rules, Pharisees did it better than just about anyone else. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that there is probably no other group of people that were so consumed with obeying the letter of the law. So in many ways, Pharisees were the perfect religious people. But this is a group that Jesus calls hypocrites, children of hell, and blind guides. Why? With all their Bible knowledge, with all their strict observation of the law, with all their passion for rule-keeping, Jesus says that they missed the main thing which is a heart filled with love for God and people. The Pharisees missed the forest for the trees. Pharisees majored in the minors. The Pharisees went out of their way to not break a single law of God, but over time, Observance of the law became more important than loving God. Keeping rules became more important than loving their neighbors. And little by little, this crack in the foundation became a grand canyon. And through all the the religious aspects of their lives, they could not see God. And to borrow the famous words of Mark Twain, Pharisees were people who were good in the worst sense of that word. <laughs> and here's the thing we all have an inner Pharisee. Did you know that about yourself? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 we all have an inner Pharisee. And because of this inner Pharisee, one of the biggest temptations for us Christians is to follow Jesus without Jesus. We, can't, we can become become so obsessed with rules that we miss Jesus. We can become so obsessed with doing ministry that we miss Jesus. We can get so caught up in being good and doing good that we miss a love relationship with God. So instead of having this vibrant, thriving, flourishing relationship with God, we settle for a lifeless religion based on checking off boxes on a to-do list of rules. Rules and lists is a good way to get chores done around the house but it is a terrible way to do life. But our inner Pharisee is really drawn to it because it gives us very good boundaries. We know that we're in or we're out. We could say, okay, that kind of fit in this rule keeping, uh, and then, then there is this thing that we know it's, it's not part of the rules. We know who's in, and we know who's out. Religious people, people with very strong inner Pharisee, often live very moral lives. But there's something underneath that morality, that their goal is to get leverage over God to control him, to put him in a position where they think God owes them because of their good rule-keeping. So there are two ways to be our own Savior and Lord. One is by breaking all the rules and setting our own course, the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son. And the other is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good like The older brother in the parable and the whole point of that parable is that they're both lost one was far away doing things that we obviously associate with gosh that's absolutely not rule keeping that's so out of bounds we know that's wrong but here's this faithful older brother the good rule keeper Who's so close to the Father, and yet he is just as lost. And in some ways, even more so, because at least the lost son who went away knows that he is far from God. But this one who's kind of doing life in the Father's house with the strict rule observing doesn't realize how far away he is from God. And so, what does he say? When the father approaches him said all these years i've been slaving for you that's the inner pharisee talking right all these years i've been checking off these boxes for you and this terrible son of yours takes half the inheritance and goes away and squanders all these things and what do I have to show for it? You never threw me a party. He's whining, he's nagging. And the father says, Everything that I have is yours. All these years you've been slaving for me? Really? You think that's what I wanted? I want a son, not a slave. but our inner Pharisee makes us prone to living as slaves in the house of God. Did you know that you can go through the motion of obedience and still be disobedient? And parents will know this one really well. So I have three boys, and they are... Very energetic, and they excel at many things, including making a mess. And so my wife and I regularly have to tell them to go clean their room. So we say, go up, clean their room, and them in just their angelic voices say, yes, Father, Uh, shall we go up and clean our room? (laughs) Never happens. Uh, So we, we argue for a bit, please go up and clean your room, and they, okay, they run up, and 30 seconds later, they come back down. Oh, the room's clean. <laughs> and, and so I've been around the block a few times to know, okay, so 30 seconds to clean a room, that, that, that's not going to cut it. So let's go up and let's take a look at the room. And, and of course, what do they do? They get a blanket over their bed. And underneath the blanket is all their stuff, right? Their old clothes their all their toys, everything else. And it's covered and it's clean. Dad, you told me to clean the room, and I obeyed there. Now, can we play our video game? So kids are brilliant sinners. I don't know if you knew that, but they are brilliant sinners. And yes, rules are important. They are good, but it is secondary to a relationship based on love. We give our boys rules to teach them the difference between right and wrong. But as a parent, what we are truly after is a shaping of their heart in the image of Jesus. That I desperately want them to love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as themselves. Rule keeping isn't the way to that loving relationship. At a certain point in our journey, our relationship with God must move from obedience to love. So as the great pastor John Stott said, love is the principle, the paramount, the preeminent, the distinguishing characteristic of the people of God. Nothing can dislodge or replace it. Love is supreme. And this is what the Pharisees missed. This is where they failed. They missed the forest for the trees. And this is what you and I can miss so easily if we're not careful. So look again at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, and 23. It says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be the subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And so he goes through this bunch of these statements. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. So in verse 20, Jesus says, I have come to to, to fulfill the law. And I'm not saying that those laws don't matter, but I've come to fulfill that law. So you have heard that it was said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you are angry towards someone, that is exactly the same thing as murdering someone. Jesus is giving a whole new worldview based on himself. He's saying, this is how you thought the world works, but here is how it actually works. Yes, you shouldn't kill people, but if you think that just because you haven't physically murdered someone that you are somehow right with God, can I ask you, have you been angry with someone Oh, you think you are so good because you didn't commit adultery. Well, have you looked lustfully at someone? Well, that's the same thing as adultery. Jesus says it is one thing to behave rightly, to keep the letter of the law. It's another thing, to enti- it's another thing entirely for one's heart to be oriented toward love. And that heart, that fountain from which everything flows, that's what Jesus is after. Jesus says to us, I don't want your rule keeping as much as I want you. I want you. The gospel of Jesus is first and foremost concerned about the condition of our heart. All the emphasis and the teachings of Jesus is centered around the heart of a person. Why? Because the heart is the fountain out of which everything else flows. It is the origin of all of our words, our actions, our motives. Everything flows from our heart. And so we read this in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. It says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Good people bring good things out of the good store up in their heart And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When someone murders another person, when someone has an affair, when someone breaks an oath and lies, all these actions have their origins not in the brain or the eyes, but the heart. And that's what Jesus is after. And the only way that we can change what's on the inside is by letting Jesus do the work in us by his Holy Spirit. But he will never force his way into you. He must be invited in. He must be welcomed in. It is not merely enough to unlock that door. We must Open it and say, come in and begin that transformation work in me. So here's a great quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. And if you haven't read that book, you absolutely should read that book. It says, Jesus says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less or other than that. You have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I'm going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will never rest nor let you rest until you are literally perfect until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you. And he said he was well pleased with me. This I can do and will do, but I will not do anything less. That's what Jesus is after. Not behavior modification, not sin management, but this transformation from the inside out to literally be perfect. And if you have ever tried to change on your own, you know that it's an impossible task. New Year's resolutions, for example. May last a week, two weeks, maybe a month, and then we kind of taper off. Our hearts are despicably wicked. And it is here where we are completely at a loss to how to become a truly good person and to truly live a good life. Jesus comes and says, Be perfect and let me transform you into that person. And it begins with this faith journey, this love relationship with God. This love relationship with God. Not to be able to say to our Father, all these years I've been slaving for you but I wonder how many of us live there. And I think the longer we've been in church, in some ways, the bigger our inner Pharisee becomes. That we live with this sense of entitlement. God, I haven't missed a Sunday in like 10 years. Come on, you owe me something. All these years I've been slaving for you. I wonder how that manifests itself in, in your lives here. Salvation is all about the transformation of our entire being from the inside out. This love relationship with God. And as Jesus tells us, be perfect, and let me transform you into that person who can actually obey that command. Our proper response is to echo the words of the psalmist in Psalm 51.10. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We humbly acknowledge our inability to change on our own And this transformation will not be immediate or easy. In fact, it will be a lifelong journey lived out one day at a time, one step at a time. But it begins as our obedience transforms into love. So what does all of this have to do with being an authentic missional community that you have been talking about? So look at verses 23 and 24, again, Matthew 5. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Part of becoming an authentic missional community is understanding that we cannot have a horizontal relationship with God that is separated from our horizontal relationship with our brothers and sisters, that they are intimately related. A lot of times our inner Pharisee will say, well, gosh, I've been doing really good with God, and, and so we give ourselves kind of permission to be nasty to someone Else. Well, as long as my relationship, vertical relationship with God's fine, then those things don't matter as much. And God says, actually, that matters tremendously to me. Becoming an authentic mission of community means that we are becoming people whose hearts are pure because God is transforming us from the inside out. And it also means that we do the hard work of loving each other like family because that's what. We are, we're a family, not a group of strangers in a building once in a while together, we are a family. And every family has a set of rules that they live by, and the same is true in the family of God. So I wanted to suggest two family rules for your family, your authentic missional community. Family rule number one, we are unreasonably forgiving towards one another. We are unreasonably forgiving. We are unreasonably forgiving towards each other. First Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Whenever there is more than one person anywhere, there is a fight. There is disagreement. There is misunderstanding. Really, all you need is just one other person in the room. And married couples know this very well. And so in a room like this size, with this group of people, there will always be people hurting other people. Whether you want to or not, you're gonna hurt somebody. And no matter how thick skinned you may be, you're gonna be offended, you're going to be hurt. That's just part of doing life in a sinful world. We're going to hurt each other. So, Peter says we must love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And by covering over sins, it doesn't mean that we sweep things under the rug, it doesn't mean that we endorse someone's sin, it doesn't mean that we renounce church discipline. But what it does mean is that we must learn to be quick to apologize and quick to forgive. Quick to apologize and quick to forgive. We all have been sinned against, and some of us have had some, someone say or do something so painful that we feel the effects of it even now. Maybe right now you could think of something that happened recently, some words, some action. Someone did something and, and it stuck, it hurt. Maybe they knew what they were doing, maybe they didn't, but regardless, you're feeling the effects of someone else's sin. And when we harbor that bitterness, it will begin to eat away at every other part of our lives. There is no way that you could be offended and just be okay just through sheer willpower. That bitterness, that resentment, that hurt will linger, it will grow, and it will eat away at everything in your life. It will eat away at your joy, your peace, it will eat away at everything else in your life. A long time ago, as an illustration, there were two monks who were traveling and they approached a river that was unusually rough. And as they came to this river, a, a woman approached the two monks and asked if they could help her cross the river so she can get back to her family. One of the monks, knowing that it was forbidden for him to touch a woman, quickly turned away and ignored the woman. However, the other monk had compassion for this woman, so he decided to bend the rules. He picked her up, helped her cross the water, and safely put her on the other side. The woman thanked this monk and walked away. And the two monks continued on their journey, and after a few miles, the first monk finally explodes in disgust. and says, I can't believe that you picked up that woman. You know that we're not supposed to touch a woman. The second monk gently replied, I put her down miles ago, yet you continue to carry her in your heart. So that's exactly what happens when we harbor bitterness, when we carry resentment. We carry this anger, this thing in us, and it eats away at everything. It is extremely easy to love someone who is lovable. We know that. It is extremely easy to forgive someone who genuinely repents. I am so, so sorry. Of course, I forgive you. But Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. That's really hard. We must love each other deeply. We must love each other as if our lives depended on it because we are sinners living among sinners. We are going to sin against each other again and again and you've probably experienced this in your own family but lingering unforgiveness and bitterness will destroy a family including a church family so let me just be blunt and ask you don't have to look around the room and like you know look at that person but i bet there's someone here who's been hurt by someone else like sitting Right here. Maybe it's a person right next to you. But maybe it was last week. Maybe it was last year. Maybe you didn't get invited for something. Maybe they said something and it had just a tinge of anger or resentment. and, And you've been just kind of like, oh man, what is that? Maybe there is a family member that you've been separated from maybe for many years because of this bitterness, this resentment, that this hurt that you have not been able to let go. So there is this massive divide, this chasm in your family relationship because of that. And my challenge to you today is will you choose to forgive that person? as far as it depends on you, where they are with their own stuff that's between them and God, but as far as it depends on you, will you choose to forgive? Will you choose to extend grace and say, I understand. I could have chosen to, whenever there's a gap between what we expect and what actually happens, we have a choice. We can fill it with suspicion Or we could fill it with trust. And as brothers and sisters, may we offer each other the gift of putting trust in those spaces where there is a gap between what we expected and what was actually done by the other person. May we be quick to forgive and quick to apologize. So, family rule number one we are unreasonably forgiving. Family rule number two. We are extravagantly generous. We are extravagantly generous. An authentic missional community is a family that makes radical sacrifices for one another to give our very best to each other, and we do this without expecting anything in return, but simply because we have been forgiven much, so we love much. And when we talk about sacrifices, we are talking about something that costs us something. A sacrifice is something that is hard to give, but we still give anyway. So what do we have to give? What do you have to give your family? I think that every individual has three important things that we have to offer, our time, our talents, and our treasures, right? You may have heard that before. Our times, our talent, and our treasure. First, we give our time, and time is a commodity that everyone has exactly the same amount of. And giving time is difficult more and more because living in, we live in an age, it seems like it's harder and harder to give time to things that really matter. So in order to give our time, we need to make some radical changes and prioritize what's most important in our lives. And this will require some creative thinking on your part. So one small thing as a family that I think we should be in the habit of doing regularly is that you share a meal with someone every week. Set aside one evening, invite someone to your home, and share a meal with them. You don't have to make a fancy meal and buy expensive china. Order Domino's pizza, sit around, eat, and get to know the other person over a meal. There's something about the act of eating together that brings down barriers between people. It's an intimate experience. But if you're not used to doing this with people outside of your immediate family, it actually takes some practice. It may feel a little bit awkward, and I think a lot of people may initially get stuck on, man, I I need my place to look absolutely perfect. I need the food to be perfect. I mean, and all of those things will work itself out, but it's all about the relationship that forms as you're sharing a meal together. So this week, can we try that? Like invite someone, maybe sitting in this room, come over for dinner. We'll we'll put some pizza on, we'll we'll eat, and, and we'll talk. And getting into the habit of doing that regularly. Second, we give our talents. In the family of God, we use the talents and skills that God has given us to serve others. Some of you are really good with your hands and fixing stuff. I am not one of those people. But some of you are. And I wonder if there's someone here who's, Home needs a little work. Maybe they need a a window fixed, the door fixed. Maybe their kitchen needs a little bit of work. And you have the the skills to do that. That will be a huge way that you could be a, a very practical blessing to someone else in the family of God. Some of you are great with kids. And so why not volunteer your time to serve at Kids Church? Some of you are great cooks. Why not bring a meal to someone maybe stuck in home? Maybe bring a meal to a family that's going through a hard time. Is there something that you are good at that you can use to bless someone else this week? What might that be? And who can be blessed by you this week? And third, we give our Treasures. I think if there's anything that's harder to give than time, it may be money for many of us. There's something about money that we often find it difficult to be generous with it. But as I mentioned earlier, as a family of God, we are not called to be merely generous, but extravagantly generous. And the definition of extravagant will vary for all of us. But the point is this, if it's easy to give, then it's probably not extravagant extravagant giving should hurt a little bit extravagant giving may mean that you will not be able to buy that nicer car or that nicer house or that nicer TV for your man cave
0: <laughs>
1: extravagant giving me- may mean that you scale back on the kind of vacation you do this year But in the family of God, we give extravagantly because we understand that everything that we have belongs to God. In the family of God, we are extravagantly generous. So, would you please pray and ask God to show you how you might demonstrate this extravagant generosity? We are forgiving. We are generous. How might you give your time, talents, and treasure to bless someone else in the family of God this week? I'll end with this one short story. There's a woman named Sandy who was 95 years old when she fell and broke her hip. When she left the hospital, she moved to a housing complex for seniors. The thought of losing her independence was discouraging, but her friends, did their best to cheer her up. One day, her group of friends came to visit. And later, Sandy described with glee the sight of their arrival this group of 90 some year olds coming to visit their friend in need at the hospital. The driver had a cast on one leg and needed a crutch to walk. Another woman had one arm in a sling, and a third visitor had a portable walker because of her arthritic knee. What a sight! We must have been holding each other up. Each of these three friends had a good excuse to stay home that day, nursing their own pain and perhaps wondering why no one thought to call them or visit them. But instead, they reached out to their sister who needed a word of encouragement. So Vancouver Eastside Vineyard, can you imagine that that's what this church looks like. People with our slings and our crutches and our broken legs and arms going out of our way to visit someone in need because we are that authentic missional community. People who passionately love God and others. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for the family you've given us. We know it's imperfect because we're imperfect, but we love our family. We really do. I pray right now you would give us the grace to forgive those who've hurt us, those who've wronged us, that we would give you our anger, our bitterness, if we do not want to live with that any longer. We do not want to keep walking with this. God, I pray that Vancouver Eastside Vineyard would be marked by extravagant generosity and unreasonable forgiveness. And through this family, God, I pray that many, many people in the neighborhood would experience your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray even now you call to mind people to uh, reach out to this week for a meal, someone to help this week, someone to visit this week that we would give our time, talents, and treasures to to love and serve the body of Christ. Thank you for your love, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Wow. Let's just uh, savor that for a moment. Just, just uh, wait in the presence of God. I believe we've really heard directly from the Lord today. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. just believe that last picture it was just such a graphic image of of our of our church our city where we're so tempted to self-absorption because our our margins feel so small for time and money and resources how in the world can we help others when we're so wounded ourselves so thank you insu for that beautiful prophetic picture for us i've our theme this year is expanding the table. And I really felt that, and I haven't talked to Insu at all about this, but one of the just specific things that he said that I feel is such a confirmation is was just the practical thing of just opening our, showing hospitality at least once a week as a congregation, that the Lord was inviting us to that. And so um, thank you for listening to the same Holy Spirit. That's good. <laughs> awesome so if you if if some of these points were very tender and and there may be some pain spiritually emotionally that just with God putting his finger on something there there's some surgery going on don't hesitate to get some prayer there is grace we love because he first loved us we forgive unreasonably (laughs) because we've been unreasonably forgiven Um, So there's grace on tap today. So if you would like prayer for some of these things, uh, please come forward or have someone pray for you. Why don't we all stand together? There's coffee and tea at the back. Some of you need to go and sign your children out. Um, But let me bless you. And uh, thank you again, Insu and Andy and our whole... Olympic Village team who's come today to bless us. You've been encouraging to us, and we will be praying. We are praying. In fact, let me pray right now, if I could, (laughs) for them. Lord, I just thank you for, again, this gift of a team, of a community that you've brought to Vancouver. I thank you, Lord, for the way that they have come into the city. I thank you that they have modeled the incarnation, the way that Jesus as God the Son came into the world without fanfare. He came in quietness and humility and in in grace and in truth and in mercy and um, just a precious gift straight from the heart of God into the world, and Lord, that they have, they know you. We can see that by the way that they are among us, by the way that they've come into our city, that they know you. We recognize you in them. And so we pray, Lord, that you will just encourage them, Lord, as as uh, they seek this long obedience in the same direction, that your hand would be upon them, that you would bring much fruit, Lord, that, that uh, there would be just... Uh, that sense of daily coming to the end of their day, knowing that they saw what the Father was doing, and they did it. And they heard what the Father was saying, and they said it. And those two or three or four people, Lord, as Insu talked about, that, are, that you've brought into their lives, that investing in those lives, Lord, is where your heart is and what your hand is upon. And so we, we pray that as they've just been faithful to, to be mustard seed, to be leaven, Lord, that even this summer they would see, Lord, just as we move into springtime and summertime, that they would see fruit begin to ripen and, uh, and that dream of, of lives changed, Lord, that they would see the, the first fruits of that, we pray. In just powerful, yet quiet, profound ways. And so we stand with them in Jesus' name. And together we agree for our city. That our city will see you. That our city will see you. And that you will settle for nothing less And change and transformation in us from the inside out. Deliver us from the Pharisee in us, Lord. Deliver me from the Pharisee in me. I've been at this a long time. I I know how to obey the rules, and I'm proud of it. Oh, God, help me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Lord, deliver us from the older brother syndrome. Deliver us from the syndrome of those workers that were all day working in the vineyard. Lord. May we all rejoice in the last hour of payday together, knowing that whether we started early in the morning or late in the afternoon, it's all by grace. It's all by your spirit. So let, let us be, protect us from being sloppy, Lord, in our, in our obedience to you, in our, in our love for you, in our seeking you. And protect us from being Pharisees. Somehow, Lord, just change us from the inside out. We ask you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Just calm Holy Spirit.
2: As Inzu is sharing, I just felt so powerfully that the Holy Spirit is here to help us in habitual sin that seems to come regularly and we try to deal with it but it still comes back and uh, in worship i ha- i heard very clearly though our sins be as scarlet he will wash them white as snow so when you were talking about anger i felt like the holy spirit was just really jumping on that i th- for maybe some of us our tendency to get angry and we are trying to deal with it but it's very difficult so the holy spirit is here to set us free and um we all can we all can you know we all can see something in our lives that's wrong and then we try to deal with it but without the holy spirit we can't so if there's something that tends to crop up in you whether it's fear anger whether it's a tendency to try to sp- have you know saving face lying I just feel like the Holy Spirit is here to really help us. So let's not just rush back to the coffee pot without just allowing that work to happen in us. Amen.
0: So the grace of the Lord Jesus was demonstrated to us through his life, death, resurrection. And the love of God shown to us through the giving of his son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that is amongst us and in us to make us an authentic community be with you all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.